Most women have come to understand that most sex that's available to them is sex that, if they said yes to it, would be sex that would be happening to them. It wouldn't be happening for them. And sometimes, honestly, it's not even with them. Take a breath. Look around. Feel it. Feel the vibration. Feel the breath. Feel the power of just fucking being alive. I'm Don Hale, the Sex Jesus. And the not-so-Virgin Mary. I love that. Yeah, that's perfect. I think sex really is about the heart. Um, uh, we've kind of made it about a couple different things. So obviously sex is about conception. Uh, so that's kind of a religious paradigm where people are like, hey, let's you know, procreate, you know, be fruitful and multiply. You know, there's a Bible verse that says something like that. And, and sometimes in a lot of cultures, like a Japanese culture, for example, sex is really this kind of service you perform for the man but it, it, and get some children out of it. Uh, so sex is about conception. It's about having uh, kids and procreating. We wouldn't be here without sex. Um, and then sex is also about expression. So one of the things that's crazy about like sex in general is that um, it's not just an activity that we do, but it's a way that we also identify ourselves. Uh, so you, you have a gay pride parade, which are people celebrating their, their acceptance of their self, their excitement, their, their pride around their sexuality. Uh, so you have a whole parade. This is, it's this entire just this moment of expression. Um, and it's also how we identify ourselves. So it's about identity. So I'm a man. You're a woman. I'm trans. I'm this. I'm intersex. I'm uh, whatever. That, so it's about like expression, identity, conception. It's also about experience. Uh, so there, there is an aspect of sexuality. And when I'm talking about sexuality in these terms, I'm definitely talking about like human sexuality because there is a biological paradigm of sexuality. I think the animal kingdom where uh, sex, uh, except, uh, except for humans and dolphins, where sex really isn't about pleasure, but it's about there's a dominance aspect of sex. Um, so you'll see apes you know, fuck other apes and do all this stuff to, as an expression of dominance and power. Uh, but really, it's a mechanism of like, hey, power, and then let's, you know, have some more monkeys. We need to, to fill, you know, our tribe or whatever. And so sex is really kind of those things. But when it comes to human uh, sex, like then there's, there's the experience of sexuality, uh, where it's all the way from, uh, you know, it's all the way from like, boy, it, it, it's just crazy. Like if you think about the experience of sexuality, so all of a sudden, you know, I got on like a, like a suit jacket and a tie and then I look in the mirror and or I'm looking at this camera right now. I'm like, fuck, I'm sexy. So now all of a sudden I'm having an experience of, of sexiness or sexuality just based on what I'm wearing or a woman puts in something that she, she thinks she looks amazing in or gets her hair done or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh. yeah, you can kind of feel this like vim, this vigor. You can kind of feel this experience of your sexuality. And then just the physical act of the experience. Um, you know, if you, uh, you, know, you might go to like an ecstatic dance party or like Burning Man or something and find yourself in a tent, you know, just copulating, you know, fornicating, fucking all these people. And then um, you're having this experience and you're like, well, is that experience about conception? Is it about identity? Sometimes there's an identity play in there, but, but no, it's, it's kind of about the experience. What is this experience of sexuality, of myself, of, of another person, of, of the otherness that kind of comes when you blend self and other to each other? And so there's, you know, there's that. Um, and then really, uh, I think the bottom line of, of sex, I think kind of the thing that kind of separates the difference between how we have sex 
and how like animals have sex or whatever is that I really believe sex is about connection. It's about this place where, look, man, sex is like really kind of the one place where you just can't lie. Um, you know, right now I'm wearing this, this nice suit, my hair is done, I got lights on me, you know, so there's really this way in which I'm like, I'm, I'm presenting a certain aspect of myself uh, to, to the, you know, to you. And, um, but then when it comes to sex, all of a sudden, you know, this, this comes off and I'm naked, I'm vulnerable, I'm exposed. Um, you know, you might think I look fit. I can tell you if I took this jacket off, you'd be like, holy shit, that guy's a little out of shape. Um, you might be surprised how hairy I am. There might be all these judgments or whatever you have about me as a person. And, and what I'm saying, if I'm choosing to be intimate with you and I'm choosing to be naked and, and bare before you is, is I'm, I'm putting myself in that place where I'm like, hey, right here, right now, I can be accepted or rejected for everything I am and everything I'm not. And the hope, the desire there is that you're not rejected, that you're not shamed, that you, people don't take a shit on you there. The hope is that you are actually seen there and felt there and experienced there and appreciated and accepted and, and, and loved there. And so, um, so it's, it's one of those places for the truth. And also, you know, the same thing for, for men and women. You can sit there and, uh, you know, if I'm saying how turned on I am about you or how excited I am about you, but uh, my cock's not getting hard or your pussy's not getting wet or something, there's a truth there. There's a truth about like maybe how, how available you are for that level of intimacy or that level of connection or, or, uh, or whatever. So um, like sex uh, in terms of connection, sex really starts with this kind of desire to be connected to the self. I mean, that's one reason why like a gay pride parade is a thing. Uh, you don't have a whole bunch of straight pride parades because a lot of people haven't don't have a lot of heterosexual, um, you know, dissonance or, or, you know, defamation or whatever around their character because they have, you know, uh, opposite sex attraction. When you're talking to people with homosexuality that have experienced this stigma and this bashing and this kind of insulting around their sexuality, they now all of a sudden, a, a gay pride parade is really a place being like, hey, actually, this part of me, that's, that's a part of my being, that's a part of my expression, a part of my identity, part of my experience. Um, this thing that, that I've been so insulted by and so ashamed uh, of uh, or made to be shamed of, like it's actually really important to me. It's just a really beautiful aspect of me. And you know what? I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm proud about it. And so really the, the, you know, sex kind of starts with this like connection to yourself with this desire to be connected to yourself. And, and you can kind of see it over time. Like sometimes, you know, you get a bunch of fuck boys or, you know, somebody that just lives a fuck for pleasure. And they're just like, hey, another notch in my belt, dog. You know, they got another girl tonight, you know, or whatever. At some point in the work that I do with even men like that, they reach this point where they're like, look, man, I fucked a lot of ass. You know, I got a lot of girls, but I feel empty. I'm like, yeah, because there's a part of you that, sure, you were really connected to your cock, you're really connected to your ego, you're really connected to some part, but you, you missed other parts of you, like the part of you that maybe wants to be a husband or be a father um, or be nurtured or care or actually nurture and care for somebody more than just, you know, for 25 minutes in the bathroom, you know, at the end of a party. And so, you know, sex starts with this desire to be connected to yourself from this, like, vulnerable place where you just can't lie, where the truth is there, to be, uh, if fall in love with yourself there, appreciate yourself, accept yourself there. And then in that moment, also be loved, appreciated, accepted, seen like by another person. And so, and in that moment when you are naked 
and you're vulnerable and somebody looks at you and and you know you start to as opposed to being run away from people start to come closer and closer and closer and then they begin to intertwine and and enfold themselves with each other um you know, then that's kind of one of the most beautiful potential moments for, for acceptance and connection with, with others. Uh, and then really, if you're very connected to yourself and you're very connected to others, um, you know, then you can connect to other. Yeah, you get a kind of a glimpse behind the veil, behind the illusion of the separateness and the distinctness where we kind of live from this paradigm that I am I and you are you and you and I are different. I'm over here, you're over there, you and I are separate. But in those moments of like deep, vulnerable intimacy, in the moments of those truths, if we are seen there, accepted there, accepting ourselves, accepting another, and being seen and accepted in kind, and, and we're free there in that moment to just dissolve into the experience of that moment, dissolve into the expression of that moment, uh, and the identity of that moment, like all of these things, if we're able to do that, there's what I call this like I love you moment where whether you've been with a partner a hundred times or uh, it, it, this person's a relative stranger to you, just met them or whatever, there's this dissolving of the illusion where you're like, oh my God, you feel this ecstatic experience in your body. You're like, oh my God, I love you. You're like, I love you. And you, you know, sometimes you shout it, sometimes you're shy and you don't want to say that because you don't want to scare the other person away. But it's kind of this I love you moment. And then all of a sudden in this moment of ecstatic experience, you're like, where, where do I end and where do I begin? And I, this person's in me and I'm in them. And, and all of these things, this conflicts of, of just the reality of connection, just how close, how intimate, like how incredibly connected we actually are. And, and in that moment, it's just the truth. It's the truth of realistically how connected we are to kind of everybody and everything on this planet at all the time. Um, but we've bought into the illusion of distinctness and separateness. And we don't recognize, a, you know, like a homeless man on the street as an aspect of us that is hungry. So we say that person's hungry or that person's evil rather than I am hungry uh, and, and I'm experiencing hardship. Uh, but in those moments where, you know, you have... Uh, unions kind of galvanized by sexual intimacy and care of that intimacy and nurturing of that intimacy you know uh, people will sometimes take that to marriages or partnerships and then when you have a, a couple that's married and, and they sit there and, and you have a husband say that's my better half or that's my other half you know realize the truth is like you never were two distinct people you are just part of this one whole um, and I think sex, probably at its, at its most beautiful, profound level in terms of consciousness and experience and transformation, it's really about connection. It's about remembering how important connection is, connection to self, connection to others, and then the connection to other. But yeah, so once you facilitated, you know, these, this connection in this other half, I mean, to bring it back to conception, um, what is birth? What, it's two people coming together. Uh, in, in this beautiful moment for connection and literally half of that person and half of that person becoming one whole of another person. Like if you look at the DNA, literally 50% of the DNA from the woman and 50% of the DNA from the man are included in this, this new thing that is created. And so it kind of brings it full circle where then from that connection is the unification of those two holes into something that is new and different 
that has its own experience, its own expression, its own identity uh, of sex and intimacy. And then as it grows up and, and gets older, uh, begins to have its own desire for connection. I think one reason why people believe that you have to get to know somebody uh, to have good sex um, is kind of because I think we've missed the point of what sex and intimacy is really all about. Um, just at the onset, one reason why people say that is because to be that vulnerable, to be able to feel that safe and secure being that vulnerable, totally naked, totally exposed, totally in this raw, vulnerable moment of truth with another person, um, especially for women, but often for men, um, it takes a certain level of comfort and security to be able to surrender. For example, if I don't know you and I don't know if you have a disease, if you're going to try to impregnate me and just fuck off and leave me alone, if I don't know if you're going to be there with me after this moment happens, after the sex and intimacy ha happens, um, I'll probably end up getting stuck in my head rather than being fully present or surrendered in the body. I probably will not actually be available for actual connection. Uh, for example, you know, one of the, the big things people talk about all the time is you know, oh, I'm just looking for friends with benefits, but I don't want anything serious. And, uh, you know, or you have like some guy, you know, be messing around with a girl and it'd be like, oh, man, I don't want you to catch feelings. And um, and so there's just really this way, which, uh, you know, let's say you have this beautiful sex with this person and you have this I love you moment where you feel the truth of this connection. You've been vulnerable. You've been seen there. You, you felt this connection. And then all of a sudden they never talk to you again. Um, well, it's possible that next time you start to feel anything like that in your sex with a partner that you haven't known for a while that you don't really trust, it's possible you're just going to check out of that experience and not really be available for it. Um, so it's one of those things that just kind of happens in general is that to be seen there, to actually have connection takes a certain level of, of vulnerability, a certain level of willingness to surrender in that moment. Um, and to be honest with where we are as a society as a whole and how we kind of treat sexuality um, that level of connection and the support of it, like the sustaining of it, isn't super available. Um, people are having sex for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I kind of say there's two basic reasons why people have sex. One is for power or sense of empowerment or uh, sex for power can look like, oh, I'm really agitated. I just want to fuck. Well, that's an alchemy of power. It's just like taking this and taking it to just a... You know, changing the energy, changing the power uh, or moving the power through your body or getting rid of, you know, too much energy in your body or, you know, um, or se sex for power. You know, it could be a lot of different things. And we'll talk about that at some point when we get to my conversation about like the why I think the Me Too movement like is a you know, what some of the from a male perspective, what the why men have been behaving so badly in their sex and how we kind of got there. And I think it's that most men are having sex for power. Um whatever that looks like. And then sex for connection, which is kind of what we're talking about, which I think is the, the highest, you know, like consciousness, like consciously evolved, you know, aspect of sexuality. And so, yeah, if you don't know that, that if you facilitate a connection with somebody, if that's going to be honored or respected or nurtured, or you're going to be taken advantage of or abused or hurt there, your ability to be present uh, with those connections, um, kind of disappears. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of the saddest things, you know, that I've witnessed in my own life is when I first started teaching a lot of these things is that I realized there was a lot of power in being able to put exquisite attention on women 
Most men will ask me when they hear what I do, oh, you're the sex Jesus, or hey, you teach, uh, you're a sex and desire coach for a living. I, I'll tell you, number one question that, that, uh, that men uh, ask me is, what's, what's the one tip, or do you have any tips for how I can get more women? And I'll say, yeah, so here's my number one tip. Uh, so for all the men here, here's my number one tip. Um, uh, I would say first, and most men, women will agree with this, and most men don't know this, but um, most women want sex as bad, if not more so, than most men. Uh, most women, <laughs> a lot of women are very horny. Um, now, one of the differences, though, is... Um, at some point, uh, by the time a woman is even, uh, you know, 20, maybe even uh, younger than that, most women have come to understand that most sex that's available to them is sex that, if they said yes to it, would be sex that would be happening to them. It wouldn't be happening for them. And sometimes, honestly, it's not even with them. And most men have gotten to the point where, you know, they can watch a porn or something within three to five minutes, rub one out. And so all that sexual tumescence, that energy, that whatever, that angstiness is kind of dissipated and gone. They can do that a couple times a day. Um, and so most men get really, um, they get baselined energetically to dissipation of sexual energy uh, because the, the get off is really easy. It doesn't take a lot of time to facilitate climax or orgasm for most men, uh, you know, 90% of all men climax you know every time they have sex so um, whereas women on the other hand it usually takes uh, you know three like 12 to 15 minutes uh, you know of build up and warming up uh, you know uh, just bring a little science in into this just really quickly um, so uh, for a man's cock to become fully engorged with blood uh, it takes about three to five minutes. Uh, when it's fully engorged, that means it's at its highest point in sensation. Uh, so it's most available for climax. doesn't mean that you're going to climax, but it's most available. Uh, most of the time when guys do something like edging or whatever, it's they get to that three to five minute threshold, and then they have to navigate that so that they don't go, to, go over. Uh, but that's just kind of living in that highest point of sensation. Uh, Women, on the other hand, it takes about 12 to 15 minutes, sometimes more, sometimes less, but on average, 12 to 15 minutes for the clit to become fully engorged with blood, which means that it's at its highest point of sensation. So, uh, and tip for all the men and the women that don't know their, their pussies very well, um, the clit is actually like a U-shaped organ. So there's the part that distends from the hood. And that's what most people recognize as the clit. They go, oh, there's the clit. And then it goes back under, um, like inside the pussy. So the G-spot is actually the underside of the clit. Um, so the whole thing is the clit. Um, and so when, um, when that, you know, it takes 12 to 15 minutes for that to become fully engorged and, and at its highest point of sensation, it's most available for climax. Doesn't mean climax is going to happen, but most available for climax. Um, so typically a guy can get off in three to five minutes where a woman, some women, if you ask them about their masturbation habits, they light candles, they put on soft music. Sometimes they'll look at some porn. Um, um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of more of a journey. So a lot of women just kind of get used to just not getting off or not getting laid. Um, so it's kind of like if you look at the ability to, if you look at sexual energy as just energy in general, uh, yeah, energy in general. If you look at sex as just like energy in general, um, and you think of uh, your ability to hold that sensation to be like a muscle, 
Well, uh, this is about how much sensation your average man can handle because this is just kind of where he baselines. He gets to here and then he starts to get to like here and he's like, oh shit, I can't handle all that sensation in my body. Got to rub one out, got to fuck something, got to whatever. I can't deal with that much sensation. Uh, women, on the other hand, it's generally harder for a lot of reasons for them to climax. There's a more of a journey to a climax, like in terms of a feminine orgasm. So they get used to being able to hold this much sensation um, because it's, you know, there's a difference between three to five and, and easily being able to do this or 12 to 15 and then maybe never having a climax. And so at the point they get to here, they're like, yeah, I'm kind of used to this much sensation in my body without going fucking crazy. Um, but if any, if anybody's dated somebody they care about for a long time and is not fucking them, uh, if they get to here, they'll go fucking crazy. So, I mean, you should be fucking your woman. Uh, you know, uh, your relationship to your, your sex and your sexuality is like, it's not the same as your woman. Um, so, yeah, because most women are able to hold more sensation, so the, all that horniness, if, if you had the same level of horniness in your body that your girlfriend does or your average woman walking down the street, you would lose your fucking mind. But most women are just used to kind of holding that sensation. They're more grounded, the more in their bodies, they don't think they need to solve it. They're not trained to just climax and get over it. Um, uh, sometimes women don't climax at all, so they don't have that mechanism. So they have to get used to having that much sensation in their body and having it. So, um, and, and dealing with it, not going crazy. So by the time, uh, yeah, by the time a woman's, you know, maybe in her teens, maybe in her early 20s, most women have come to understand that, um, 90% of the sex that's available to them is that sex, if they said yes to it, would fall into service to the masculine paradigm. It would be that three to five minute thing where the guy gets off, but the woman leaves that experience feeling empty. Um, and sometimes because of how that experience is and how we've been trained, women are totally aware that the sex that's happening to them is it's not for them. It, it, sometimes it's happening just to them. They're just kind of laying there and going, OK, well, I guess that was interesting. And sometimes they just realize it's not even with them. The guy would have fucked anybody in the bar that night. And, and so most women aren't available for that sex. So one of the biggest shifts that all men can do, and because how you do one thing tends to be how you do everything, this isn't just in the bedroom, but this kind of applies universally to everything. If you can get to the point where genuinely, not just because you read it in a fucking book and this is a good pickup line or you, you, you heard somebody tell you this is, is the secret, so you figure out a way to manufacture languaging or bullshit, how, how you can fucking pitch this to women. But if two sides, if you genuinely have something of incredible fucking value to offer another person, especially a woman, if you have something so of such incredible value in the bedroom or relationally, that if a woman says yes to this uh, and that you are in service to the woman that experience, that anything that happens to her will be entirely for her and she can sense that she can feel that she can know and understand the truth of that deep in her body and her pussy starts to come alive and starts to go oh my god fuck the things that this man would do to my fucking body i can tell this i can feel his worship i can tell that he's not going to just give me three to five minutes and then get the fuck out i might get 12 to 15 or whatever the journey towards that i might get those candles that i lay out for myself i might get this thing if you can convince a woman that the experience that you're about to have with her whether it's a coffee date, whether it's a business meeting or whether it's time in the bedroom with you, that the experience that she's about to have is going to be for her. And it's not going to be just stuff happening to her. You might do some incredible stuff to her, but every one of those things you do is for her and with her. Because remember, it's connection. 
You know, women tend to have sex for connection. Men tend to have sex for power, at least how we're trained. And, and I won't just say men because there's masculine and feminine and, and those energies blend both in, in males and females. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, but masculine sex tends to be for power. I want to get off. I want to fuck that thing. You can see how it's portrayed in porn, for example. It's just like you have these fucking like tiny little girls with these huge fucking dicks. And then they slap them around and make them gag. And then, oh, boom. And then, then the sex ends when the guy comes all over. It's the money shot. And then that's the end of the sex. You don't see a lot of porn where it's just like, oh, uh, the man makes sure the woman's taken care of in the middle of sex. If she starts to get sore, he like stops and just cuddles her. And, and then after the sex, uh, maybe he comes, maybe he doesn't but they cuddle for a little bit afterwards and she feels nourished and loved and respected and seen and and then they go and you know uh, no you don't see any of that it's just like it's all for power if you've ever seen harvey weinstein by all metrics he uh societal metrics he's he's a pretty unattractive guy uh, he's physically unattractive. His personality seems wildly unattractive. And obviously now that we know his actions and behaviors are incredibly unattractive. And so um, that's like a perfect example of sex for power. So you see this guy, pretty unattractive, uh, works in this industry where he sees incredibly attractive people all the time get the thing that he's kind of desperate for. So if you're a man, you know, I, I tell women all the time, you know, they're like, how do I, how do I get a man or keep a man? It's just like, look, it really boils down to a man wants to feel loved. He wants to feel appreciated. He wants to feel accepted. He wants to feel respected. If you can love, admire, appreciate, accept and respect a man, kind of give you anything you want. Um, and so if you're an unattractive man in Hollywood, and you see all these uh, men uh, that are very attractive without really having to do much other than be attractive and a quasi-decent human being, be able to get all this admiration, all this acceptance, all this appreciation, all this respect, and all this like, I don't know, this uh, from other women without really having to do much, it's probably going to fuck you up. Um, uh, you want to feel connected. You want to feel attractive. You want to feel special. You want to feel cool. And, and if you're in an industry where everybody around you is getting that and you're not because you're not those things, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to either, um, or well, one of three things. You're going to get really fucking mopey and sad. And then maybe you do something awful like the guy in San Bernardino who like basically, you know, killed a whole bunch of people because he wasn't getting laid because he felt uh, rejected, not accepted by women. Um, so you're going to do something awful, either be really mopey and sad and really awful. Um, or you're going to try to like find something that you can do that can make you sexy and attractive and, and to, you know, okay, so I don't have physical beauty, but maybe I have intellectual acumen or maybe I have, there's a skill I have, or maybe I can get a lot of money. Um, uh, so you're going to try to cultivate like a skill or a talent or something you do have to make yourself uh, more attractive. Um, or you're going to just get sex however you can get it. Um, you're going to try to try to get that thing. And, and so really when I see uh, men like Harvey Weinstein, um, you know, behave in, in that specific way, I, I'm like, well, here, here's a man who really desperately wanted connection. He wanted to feel special, unique, attractive, uh, all of these things. But he wasn't. And at some point, I think he saw other people getting this thing he was so desperate for so freely with, with really almost no work because of just their level of attractiveness or their fame or whatever. These are just like, you know what? I'm not good at a lot of things, but I am good at this one thing. I can make movies. I can produce. I'm good at these business aspects of things. 
And then at some points, once he had cultivated a level of power there, his resentment and anger towards all these women became evident. And all of a sudden, he's just like, look, so I'm not going to be able to fuck this incredibly gorgeous, famous, you know, wh whatever woman. I'm not going to be able to just get her to be naturally attracted to me, naturally interested in me. What I can use, do is I can use this power I have to both punish her for not sleeping with me sooner and to get what I want. Unfortunately, when you have this sex for power, it always takes more than it gives. And so I'm sure every time he fucked a young starlet, every time he's just like, cool, if you don't do this, you're not getting in this movie. Um, every time he got that little hit, he's like, oh. he's like, yeah, that's right, you stupid bitch. That's right, whatever. Whatever fucking thing was going on is his. He's like, that's right. I'm going to get this thing that you won't give me because I don't have enough charisma or attractiveness or whatever. I'm going to take this thing from you and you're going to give it to me. Now, the thing is that in those moments, it can feel powerful. You know, if you're, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not the world's ugliest man, but I'm not the most of the world's like, you know, I'm not fucking Brad Pitt or whoever the universe thinks is super attractive these days. I'm kind of old now. Brad's getting old. Still a good looking guy, but, um, but I'm like, who the fuck's attractive now? I don't know. I don't watch enough people. Oh, uh, Chris, Chris Evans oh. or Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth. There you go. Super fucking hot guys. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I like as much as I like to talk about myself and feel good about myself. I, I don't look anything like Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth. Women are not just throwing themselves at me because I'm just just I look like a fucking superhero or a god of thunder. Um, and so um, if you ever have had a woman that you think is out of your league, uh, pay attention to you or express interest in you or desire or <laughs> fuck you get to actually have sex with her like you kind of know like holy shit what that feels like sometimes even it, just any woman paying any sort of attraction to you has this kind of hit so now all of a sudden you take these women in hollywood that have this kind of fucking beauty and this intrinsic power and then you can take this like pedestal of power you have and you can take this power from them uh, disempower them in a way and take this power from them and then get this hit, this like ego hit or whatever, uh, it can feel fucking intoxicating. Like I can only imagine the women that Harvey Weinstein took advantage of and had sex with just like what it would be like to spend just like a moment just like looking at these women, let alone having them undress for you and and be intimate with you. And, um, and yeah, if you're so desperate for something that feels like an ego boost or so desperate for uh, like a, a flip of that story of resentment where you're just like, oh, women just don't fucking like me and fuck Brad Pitt because he's so hot and fuck you, Chris Evans. And uh, But I can fuck that girl because I got a movie student. If I put her in my fucking movie, she's going to have to fuck me and blah, 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 all that fucking grossness. Like, but like if you're able to spend just a moment like in those presents with women that you see on, on, on TV and in magazines and you're like, oh, my God, I wish I could be that person. I wish I could be with that person. Or you, or you can feel the insecurity because you're like, I can never be with that person. Well, Harvey Weinstein got to be with these fucking women. And so he had to there had to have been a get off in it for him. Like he had to have been like, I'm the fucking shit. I'm the fucking man. I'm the whatever. But sex for power always costs. He didn't care about these women. The sex that he had with them was not for these fucking women. It was for Harvey. The sex that uh, he was having with these women wasn't even with them. It was just happening to them. And, and to be honest, it was a mechanism of like him just alchemizing his anger and his angst and his abuse to try to like take power from these women. And in some cases it worked. 20 years later, you have these women utterly fucking crushed by this experience that they had with this man, their careers gone that their mental and emotional 
well-being, you know, dissolved, eroded, maybe in some cases eradicated. Um, and for 20 years, Har Harvey was having this sex for power, and he thought he was winning. Um, but sex for power always in the end has a cost. And, uh, you know, because I work in the industry that I work in and, you know, I work as a sex and desire coach and, and I talk to people so much about, you know, sex and sexuality. Tons of my clients are, are like sex workers or people that know sex workers. I, you know, I believe in, you know, I, I, you know, I believe in that as a job or whatever. But um, and I know women that are, you know, Harvey is sitting there going, hey, I'll, I'll pay you 10 grand. I'll pay you 50 grand if you show up and there's not an escort in Hollywood that will sleep with that man. Because at this point, he went from feeling disempowered, gained some power, used that power to take power from other women so that he could feel more powerful. And at the end of that equation, now that 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 artificial sweetener, like because sex for power never satisfies. There's not an end of that sex. You cannot get so many ego boosts that you're like, oh, you know what? I finally fucked the 20 most attractive women on the planet and I'm now fulfilled. Um, there's no nourishment. Like, dude, it, I guarantee you this is probably pretty close to what happened. He would fuck this woman. He would feel like a badass for a while. And then at some point he'd realize that woman's never talking to me again. That woman won't return my phone calls that woman doesn't like me that woman has talked shit to me to all of her friends in hollywood there are some starlets that won't even come work on my movies because they know i'm here and they've heard about me and i'm pretty sure there was some point late at night where he went i am fucking lonely and he earned that and now that little hit he got from having sex with beautiful, famous, super attractive, uh, like high-end hookers or whatever type women, all of that, mm, that juicy little fucking sugar-free chocolate that had no nutrients is not available to him now fucking now. And now he's just sitting in a hole somewhere totally fucking dead because nobody will fuck him. And that's what happens when you have sex for power. Like... Um, and actually, crazy enough, this goes back to like, why would you, you know, why is it commonly said that you need to talk to, you know, talk to somebody and get to know them and, and stuff before you have sex with them? So it's like, well, honestly, because sex for power kind of always ends up hurting one or both people, even if it doesn't look like it hurts you for a while. Like if you, you know, if you're the traditional fuck boy or your woman sleeping with a lot of men or something like that, and there's a certain level of ego boost or a certain level of like freedom, like there is this way in which women have been so shamed around their sexuality that now there's this sense of empowerment and liberation in behaving more like a man in their sex being like, yeah, I love to fuck and I love all these things and their sense of this empowerment. But at the end of most of those conversations, and that conversation might happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it might happen two hours from now, um, there's this kind of sense of emptiness because there's a cost. There's a cost either mental or emotional or physical like associated with that. And usually the cost is too high to, to pay. Um, you know, it's like uh, there, there's a Bible verse that says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? Um, when you're not totally connected to all of you, your heart, your desire, uh, your, your well-being, your intuition, when you're not connected to all that and you're having sex to empower your ego or to just fucking get off because you just want to mm, feel that thing. If you uh, are, are used to that, there's another part of you that's missing and, and, and the cost of it ten, tends to be um, tends to be too high. So 
sometimes getting to know somebody and realizing, hey, you actually give a fuck about me as a person. Like, holy shit, that's crazy. Like, uh, yeah, of course you can have my pussy. Or yes, please, here's my cock. It's all yours. Um, you know, yeah, that sometimes sometimes that that's kind of what happens. Um, it, it's actually crazy. So like, you know, at some point we'll get into more of my own sexual history, but in my own sexual history, I, I went from like sex with everybody to sex with nobody to literally at one point I was going to school to be a pastor, like a Christian pastor. And I was literally telling people, I was just like waiting until you're married to have sex or maybe not having sex ever at all. That's the best thing you could possibly do for yourself. And and so, you know, I've had this crazy, like you know, I did porn when I was younger, had sex with like a ton of people, was involved in a sex cult, like all this crazy stuff. And then I spent years being celibate. Uh, and now I find myself at this crazy place in my relationship with my own sexuality where it's just like, is sex before marriage? Like, is waiting till you're married to have sex like kind of the best thing to do? And and one of the reasons why that's even a conversation in my head for a person that believes like, like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were so connected and so loving and so supportive of each other that everybody was available for sex with everybody at all, any time of the day, anywhere on, on the planet? There's a little boxes on the side of the road where people could go have sex if they want to because we were just that available for like actual nutrient rich vulnerable amazing experiences of connection and expression and whatever we're not there so i'm not going to advocate that <laughs> please everybody don't start fuck don't watch this video and go oh hey sex jesus said that we should just start fucking everybody that we know no we're not there yet uh we would have to do so much work <laughs> on health issues and mental issues and emotional issues and identity issues to be able to be that available for that level of connection all the time. So I'm not advocating for that, at least not right now, maybe after a couple of years of these videos and the information gets out. But one reason why I consistently find myself intrigued by the thought of waiting till you're married to have sex is how many times have you been in a relationship with somebody where, um, the sex is really good, but maybe the conversations suck. Or uh, you have like a really great relationship with somebody, but if you're not having lots of sex, you fight a lot. Or um, any you know, anything really like that. Like one of the things I think is interesting when I when I was going to school to be a pastor and I was practicing and thinking about like waiting till I was married to have sex was how awesome would it be? Just just think. Just take yourself for a moment. Think about all the times you have been rejected after sex. So think about the one night stands that you've had. Think about the times that you've put yourself out there as being attracted. Maybe you're you know, a teenage boy or something. You're like, I wrote a poem for this girl and bought her a necklace and, and, and gave it to her and, and she threw it in my face. Um, just think of all the vulnerability we have around desire, expression, wanting to be connected, sex, and then all the ways in which you've been rejected there. Now picture that you meet somebody that you're really attracted to, <laughs> like really like, oh my God, you just swim in the sea of her eyes or, or you just get lost in, uh, you know, his musk and his manliness or whatever, just, just the most intoxicating being you've ever seen. And... Uh, they're like, hey, look, so if we want to acquiesce, if we want to go forward with this like magnetism, this juicy love and lust and, and everything that we have for each other, if we want to do that, 
it's going to be about a year from now after we spend a lot of time getting to know each other. And then eventually a year from now, we'll stand in front of our friends and our families and our deities. And we'll pronounce our connection and our love and our commitment to honor that love and connection for the rest of our lives with support of our community. And we'll do that in front of God and everybody that we know and love the most. Um, and so starting today, we won't have sex until we make that commitment. But here's kind of, I mean, hey, that's kind of fucked up. That's a year of amazing sex with this fucking incredible person that you're not going to have. That's an awful thought. Holy cow. Life is short. You know, people die. You know, tragedies happen. Why would you want to not have sex for a year with somebody that you really love? Well, think about it. If somebody waited that long to have sex with you and then they kept... They didn't, they didn't cheat on you. They weren't having sex with your friends. They weren't going on Tinder or a grinder or wherever. And, and they dedicated that part of their vessel, especially if you think about it as a man. You know, a man, three to five minutes, he can get off. He can fuck somebody over here and over there. You know, if you think about how masculine sexuality or how available sex is for women, like uh, just how available. I mean, come on, guys, let's be honest. You know, <laughs> uh, the average guy has to work a little bit to get laid. The average woman... If she wants to have just any sex, sex is happening to her uh, and not even with her. Like she's that's available right now. Any woman just sitting on your couch at home, I guarantee you open your door and shout, I'm available for sex and sex will come running your way. So most women have learned to live without and most men are, are trained to, you know, they can't handle that much sensation without needing to get off or dissipation or needing that ego hit or, or, or whatever. So if you get to to that place, um, if you knew that you had a partner that literally genuine, like very genuinely saw so much value in you that you're like, you know what? It's not about the sex. It's about spending a year understanding and demonstrating the value that we have to each other. Um, man, there are some moments, like even with my personal partner uh, and partners I've had in the past where I'm just like, boy, if I stop having sex with this person, will they still want to be with me? I, I remember when I first uh, when I first like became a Christian. Uh, I wouldn't identify myself as a Christian anymore now, so don't, don't get too worried. <laughs> whatever you're listening to us, but when I first became a Christian, I was dating this woman. We were having all this sex, good sex too. It was like great sex. Uh, and then I went to this church and I heard the gospel and I came home and I was like, I'm not sure I should be having sex. I just didn't know. And she's like, Oh. Uh, Okay, well, okay, cool. Let's just, we can roll with that. About two weeks later, she was just like, what the fuck? I don't know what's going on. Are you cheating on me? Are you sleeping with somebody else? Are you, are, do you find me unattractive? She was like so fucked up that by the fact that we weren't having sex that she left. Up until that point, it had been months of a like really what I thought was pretty dope relationship. But um, two weeks of no sex and she was fucking gone. Lesson I learned from that moment was like, shit, did I really not have any fucking value other than like what I can do with my mouth, my fingers and my dick? Like, is that, is that the only reason why she was sticking around? Like, is that it? Um, <laughs> you don't want that to be the only thing that has value to you. I mean, women, I'm sure you can attest you, you have a, like a great tits and a beautiful ass or, you know, whatever. I'm sure you don't want that to be the only fucking thing that has any value to you. 
In men, crazy enough, same thing. You don't want the fucking thing between your legs to be the only thing that has any value. You don't want your ability to pleasure a woman to be the only thing that has value because, like, here's the reality, man. Like, uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you like, you know, like, a relationship is the cake and sex is the icing. No, fucking sex is the Look, man, average sex, average, hate to break this. This is science. This is data. Google it. Average sex. Uh, uh, the average married couple, the average couple in a relationship has sex three times a week. It lasts eight minutes. That's 24 minutes of sex. That's a healthy, that's a healthy relationship. Um, some people are probably going, man, fuck that. I fucked for longer. Okay, whatever. That's just science. Um, 24 minutes. I don't know. At some point, you fucking pull out a calculator, do the math. 60 minutes times 24 times 7. There's a lot more than 24 minutes in a whole fucking week. Okay, then take out maybe eight hours a day for sleeping. There's still a shit ton of minutes, more than 24. So, like, when you look at the amount of time that you end up spending with somebody in an intimate, connected, you know, whatever relationship, the relationship, the conversations you have, the things that you do together, like, those are the cake. Um, it's one reason why you can have an incredible friendship that never eschews to intimacy, never goes towards intimate things. And it is nourishing and, and satisfying and fulfilling. And you leave a conversation with one of your best friends, you're like, I feel so good. Um, you leave a conversation with somebody that really nourishes in you in that way. And, and you don't need to make out with them. There's nothing to be added to that moment. So like, you know, that relationship is the cake. And then being able to be close to that person, not necessarily sexually, but close to that person is kind of like the icing. You already have these conversations. I'm talking to you and you're talking to me. I see you. You see me. I feel you. You feel me. I encourage you. I, you know, all of these things I share and joy with you. I like help you with the sorrows and all these things. Like, oh, that's, that's the cake. You're like, oh, I need that. We need that from fucking people. We need that from ourselves. We need that from our relationships. We need that fucking, oh, we need to eat. We're fucking starving. That's the fucking cake. Then being able to hold that person's hand. Just have them just rest on your shoulder. Just have them be just that close to you. Like that's kind of the icing, man. Like that's kind of the, that's the sweetness. And you can feel that where you're just like, Maybe you're having a great conversation with somebody that you're, you're feeling or you're dating or you just met and you're just kind of connecting and you've, you've eaten the cake. Now you feel full. And then they kiss you. And you're like, oh, just silence. And you can feel your cheeks tingling. You can feel that. It's like, that's the icing. It's funny when I eat a cupcake, you know, I eat the cake and then I save the icing for the end. And usually, you know, I'll be like, mm, this is a good cupcake. But when I get to the icing, it's like, mm, mm. no words, mouthful of icing. I'm <laughs> just enjoying that. that. That level of being able to be that close to somebody, that, that's the icing. And then the sex is the sprinkles. You can have a really bomb fucking cupcake without icing. Cupcakes tend to get way better, even next level with icing. But I've pl had plenty of bomb as fuck cupcakes without fucking sprinkles or fucking doodads or marshmallows or whatever the fuck on it. So like I can do 
cupcake. I, I need some icing. It's important to me. But sprinkles, apparently we only need that three times a week for about eight minutes. And so really, if you're basing your whole fucking relationship on sex, it's, it's the pursuit of this eight minutes. If the only reason you're at your job right now or you're going to buy a Ferrari or you're buying $300 worth of makeup at Estee Lauder or, you know, Ulta or wherever the fuck you're buying your makeup today, if you're doing that, also that you can find a partner that's attracted to you so that maybe you can fuck so you can see if you're compatible enough so that maybe you can hope and pray to God that they will actually want to hang out with you after that sex for a conversation and then maybe spend maybe more than those 24 minutes with you in a week being close to you, giving you some icing, or just feeding you fucking cake. Then you kind of understand, like, if you reverse that process and you actually knew somebody wanted to build the most amazing cake with you. They wanted to make sure you had cake for a lifetime. They were committed to making sure that you were nourished. Nourished for a lifetime, not in those 24 minutes a, a week, not in those eight minutes a couple times, but in that thing, in that 24-hour or 16-hour whatever experience that is life, that you were going to be nourished. You were going to be loved, admired, approved of, appreciated, accepted, respected, cared for, feels, made to feel safe and secure, supported, helped, encouraged. If you have somebody feeding you and building you and, and continuing to, to bake and, and offer you and gift you that cake, and then they want to touch you and hold your hand and be close to you, and then they want to add some sprinkles to that, but only after the cake has been made and baked and enjoyed and understood to be delicious and nourishing and good, what does the sex from that place look like? What, what if you never again in those outside of those eight minutes or 24 minutes a week, what if you could look at your partner right now and never again would you question whether or not they loved you, they wanted to be with you, that you were cool enough to just hang out with if they weren't getting laid. You were beautiful enough to look at with adoration, without makeup or muscles or, or a fancy suit or, you know, beautiful hair or whatever. But on a Tuesday after a night out or whatever or, or working like a dog, you can wake up next to each other and, and, and hold each other in that embrace. And you know, you know that the love's there. You know that that exists. Um, that's kind of what we're missing. We're kind of, I think we're so desperate for cake, but really cake is like crazily enough so unavailable. Um, it's crazy. I was going to school to be a, a counselor. So I have a degree in you know, counseling, which is like a fancy psychology degree. And, and I was reading this article once uh, where Psychology Today interviewed all these people. And they were like, hey, do you see a therapist? If so, what do you like about a therapist? And, and after all these thousands of people remarked, they're like, hey, what, what, like, what makes a good therapist? You know, and, and so, you know, I'm thinking as a like, well, I guess if they have good degrees or a lot of experience or good tools they can use. No, literally it was. I feel they listen to me. They spend time with me. They don't judge me. And they just listen to me. And I was like, oh, that's all it takes to be a good therapist? Well, what the fuck? That sounds like a friend. But the fact that we're willing to pay $60, $200, $300 an hour for somebody to fucking listen to us? To f not fucking judge us? 
that we have to fucking pay for that means that yeah fuck we don't have that we don't have that cake we don't have that thing in our fucking relationships right now we just don't and that's that's sad um and uh and so honestly because sex those eight minutes of sex with somebody you love is amazing but even with a stranger can still be pretty fucking bomb um because those eight minutes have so much sensation if you're super fucking empty and you haven't eaten cake or had any fucking icing for fucking months and somebody throws fucking marshmallows and and reese's peanut butter cups and shit your way uh you're gonna eat it and you're gonna enjoy it uh the only thing is um if the cake is where all the nutrients is and the icing is where all the sweetness is and the other thing is just fucking decorations and candy um you can only eat so many fucking sprinkles and Reese's peanut butter cups before at some point you go to the doctor and they're like, you're going to die because you're malnourished and you're actually, it felt like you were full, but you're actually fucking starving. Uh, yeah, really we're at, at this point where people are, the cake's not available. People aren't eating cake, at least not nutrient rich cake. The sweetness maybe is available, but not really. But the candy seems to be available and we're willing to take these like, you know, eight minute, uh, you know, sugar rush hits to try to support the fact that we're fucking starving. And uh, and so, yeah. And so that's kind of why we're here. <laughs> we're kind of here to talk about two things. So, so just so you know, I just talked a lot about like, hey, why would sex before marriage possibly be a compelling option? Uh, it's because you get to bake a cake, put some icing on it, and then toss in some sprinkles, and you got yourself a fucking killer uh, snack that you can eat for a lifetime because you know how to make it and bake it, and you have a partner helping you with that, and, and cool, you can have that forever, and that's that's amazing. That's that's kind of the dream. But um, but I, I don't want to get it confused. I'm not sitting here as, a, as an advocate for sex before marriage is the only paradigm or the only way to get it. A lot of what we'll be talking about like in, in these videos and stuff is like, is it possible to actually like bake a cake, put some icing on it uh, and uh, cover it with sprinkles like the first time we meet somebody? Um, is that possible? Can we actually have nutrient dense um, sweet, delicious, fulfilling, satisfying sex and intimacy intimacy with a total stranger. Um, a lot of people would say no, and I actually say yes. Um, but what it takes is uh, a lot of the stuff that we're here to talk about. Uh, it takes connecting to yourself. It takes accepting yourself, um, loving yourself. It takes having empathy and compassion for others. It takes being present um, like exquisitely present. We'll talk about what that means. Um, it, it takes all these things. Um, and so that's kind of what we're here to have those conversations and go on that journey and see what happens. So I hope you're excited. I am. Um, let's talk. Take a breath. Look around. Feel it. Feel the vibration. Feel the breath. Feel the power of just fucking being alive. I'm Don Hale, the Sex Jesus. And the not so Virgin Mary. I love that. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> oh, God.